Kreusor, welcome to Recovery Now Radio, which is brought to you in conjunction with Adveriad Recovery and Living Room Cardiff. Adveriad Recovery is a registered charity offering specialist support to those with co-occurring substance misuse and mental health conditions. Living Room Cardiff provides ongoing support and aftercare as a community-based recovery centre that has an all-addictions approach, including gambling, alcohol, drugs, both prescribed and illicit, sex, eating disorders, gaming, etc., or any other harmful behaviour. We welcome anyone who needs confidential support in taking those first important steps towards change and recovery. Family members and friends are also catered for. For further details, please see the Adveriad Recovery website, www.adveriad.org.uk and www.livingroom-cardiff.com. Diolch Thank you so much. You can get it if you really You're listening to Recovery Now Radio, brought to you from the living room and at Veriad. You must be a win and lose, you've got to get your share. Got your mind set on a dream. You can get it, no hard it may seem now. You can get it if you really My name is Joe and I'm your presenter today. You're listening to Recovery Now Radio, brought to you from the living room and Adveriad. My name is Joe, and our guest today is Alid. Welcome, Alid. How are you? I'm not too bad, thanks, Joe. Thanks for your welcome. It's been a glorious few days, hasn't it, with the sunshine? What have you been up to? Well, I've been volunteering here, uh, doing a bit of gardening today, and I've been pretty exhausted because I've not got back from a big um, charity bike ride I did, so really I've just been finding my feet again. Yeah, excellent. We'll talk about that a little bit later. Um, so you've come in today to talk to us about your gambling addiction and subsequent recovery. But before we go into that, I'm going to play your first song, which is Landslide by Fleetwood Mac. Why did you choose that one? I think it's a song about looking back at relationships and, and the passage of time and how your life changes you know, during um, during your lifetime. Um, some regrets, and I think that's very poignant for any ad- any addict. And I, I think about relationships that I've, I've destroyed through through addiction um, and maybe there's some hope there for to reconcile. Excellent. Let's have a listen. To my love, took it down. Climbed a mountain and I turned around. And I saw my reflection in snow covered hills to the landslide. Changing ocean tides Can I have 
listening to recovery now radio let's recover together and that was landslide by fleetwood mac aled um i wanted to ask you first of all about a little bit about your childhood if that's okay can you tell us a little bit about that yeah sure um i grew up mainly in cardiff i was in london in the u.s so i was sort of before i could remember really i think i had a very happy childhood really i i am um, uh you know, very loving parents but my, my dad worked away during the week and we'd see him at, at weekends maybe every other week and we were sort of raised mainly by my mother she suffered from mental health problems that didn't you know quite appreciate as being abnormal at the time but um she had pretty severe bipolar, bipolar disorder but overall you know i felt felt love as a child um every time i i see a psychiatrist about childhood I, I don't think there's any sort of any roots of any of the problems there really but i'm not a professional so so, so i don't know but uh, i can remember you know being sort of you know fairly successful in things I used to do, um, enjoyed life, um, and didn't really didn't really want for anything, to be honest. Were you, how were you in school? Did you enjoy school? Yeah, I did. Um, lucky enough to be sort of quite successful academically, um, enjoyed sports, you know, had a good, good circle of friends. Yeah, so I, I would say I definitely enjoyed it. And what did you go on to do after school? So I went to medical school, and, you know, I, I kind of thought I always wanted to be a doctor, to be honest, but I don't think I... I don't really think anyone can decide at 17 what they want to do for the rest of their lives. Uh, so I always look back at that decision and I think, you know, I didn't really understand the implications of that. And I think it has led to some sort of dissatisfaction in my work life because, you know, um, if you go into be a doctor, I think it's not just a job, it's, it's sort of a vocation and it is very demanding. Uh, and I've often wrestled with the fact of whether the demands are worth it. And I think overall, Looking back now, I think they're, they're probably not for me. They, they are for some people. But perhaps I'm better off realising that early and I've obviously you know, put a lot of mileage in, into that career now. Um, so I'm still, still not re- really sure. Yeah, I, I, I'm not entirely sure, but that's the decision I made. Okay. Well, let's listen to your next song, which is Master of Puppets by Metallica. Why did you choose this one? Uh, sometimes you need, you need a spark. And uh, I, think, I think maybe it's a common theme. If, if you're an addict, you, you like things that are extreme. Uh, Generally, being extreme addiction is, is sort of catastrophic. So maybe a, a sort of healthy outlet for extreme feelings is, is extreme heavy metal. And I think um, Metallica Masterful uh, encapsulates that. Perfect.
You're listening to Recovery Now Radio, Let's Recover Together. And that was Master of Puppets by Metallica. Alid, we were talking a little bit about your childhood before and your studies to become a doctor. And you touched upon being a doctor becoming a little bit stressful for Mm -hmm. you. Could you tell us how you dealt with that stress in the early years? I mean, to be honest, I dealt with it in the worst way possible, just to bottle it all up and just carry on. Um, I think that's my attitude. Well, that has been my attitude to to all my problems really so I just thought you know part of being a doctor was being superhuman and being very resilient my interpretation of that was just to carry on you know ignore any any uncomfortable feelings and just deal with it and I, I almost like would look down on people who would you know vocalize their, their discomfort or their frustrations and that you know that was probably the seed of all my problems really like I kept doing that I kept making problems worse and worse and worse and um and doing that in secret without any feedback from anybody else and you know, you, 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 you can't think clearly on your own you know I think you need someone else's perspective and uh, if you start thinking I'm now too ashamed to talk about my problems and that's the trigger to say look you need to talk about your problems because you know if you're hiding them it means you're doing something wrong so and you know that deep down but often it it's hard to acknowledge that when you're kind of in the middle of addiction or, or whatever addiction has led you to do yeah and there's a saying that that our, se- our secrets will keep us sick that and that springs to mind when you talk mm-hmm. about that with regards to your gambling addic- addiction then when did that begin I, mean, I remember the exact time i placed my first bet it was it was a um sort of promotion when we were university around the um 2002 football world cup and and you know it was a promotion in the sun about 10 pounds and if you lose it you get 10 pounds back and we all all did this bet you know and um, I remember we all lost our bets. We all had bet on France to to beat Senegal. And Senegal famously beat France in a sort of you know former colony overcoming their sort of vaunted colonizers. And most people said, "Oh look, we lost this money and walked away and didn't didn't gamble again, or perhaps they gambled again in a sort of you know social way, if that's ever possible." Um, but that sort of stuck in my mind then, and I, I then gambled you know episodically, but it, without it being a problem. But it's hard to pinpoint exactly when it became a problem. But I think when I stopped talking about it that's when it was a problem and I can remember perhaps the same sort of time I was getting dissatisfaction at work and and I would escape to gambling because I wouldn't have to talk to anyone I could just do it you know on a laptop you know away from anyone and I guess get that kind of reward Um, and and I must be incredibly lucky and I I bet like 500 pounds and gradually built it up to 10,000 pounds and and, um, I can remember betting all that on on Roger Federer to beat a guy called Juan Martin Del Potter in, in a US Open final I've looked back it was 2009 I remember that date and um he was two sets of love up and he's Roger Federer you know he doesn't lose and then miraculously this guy just made an incredible comeback and I was watching it you know early hours of the morning and seeing the money sort of vanish really and I should have then gone look well this just shows that gambling's the mugs game you know but I, I was stubborn and I told myself well look if I was more careful next time you know or you know I could make it work and I've learned now that that's the way addiction you know it makes you think in a way to, to kind of continue the addiction and it's just another, another method of addiction just hangs on to you so it's around that sort of time where I guess it became a problem but then I had a good job it wasn't a major financial problem until years later and I just kept digging myself into deeper deeper and deeper deeper holes and I couldn't see a way out apart from gambling and I think even that is another way that addiction tricks you the only real way out is to, is to admit you've got a problem seek help and you can start addressing your problems and start paying off your debts which you'll never do you know if, if, if you're a gambler because even if you if you win and I, when I did win I had money I could have got myself comfortable you think oh I'll just have one more bet and then you know it continues again so um uh, I've gone off point now really but that, that that's kind of the, the theme of, of, of my gambling anyway mm. okay well let's listen to your next piece of music which is The Wrestler by Bruce Springsteen what inspires you with this song uh, I just think it's a beautiful song and um it's uh a song from a 
film from a man who's got lots of regrets. Um, and, and the line, you know, um, have you ever seen a one-trick pony? And that's what I felt I was, really. I was just a one-trick pony. Um, I, I was trapped in a cycle of, of addiction. Um, and this song makes me think about that and how you know, possibly you can overcome and become comfortable with it. Okay. Have you ever seen a one-trick pony and feel so happy and free? If you've ever seen a one-trick pony, then you've seen me. Have you ever seen a one-legged dog making his way down the street? If you've ever seen a one-legged dog, then you've seen me. Then you've seen me. Come and stand at every door And you've seen me Always leave with less than I had before And you've seen me But I can make you smile When the blood hits the floor Tell me, friend, can you ask for anything more? Tell me, can you ask for anything more? Scarecrow filled with nothing but dust and weeds If you ever seen that scarecrow then you've seen me Have you ever seen a one-armed man Punching at nothing but the breeze If you ever seen a one-armed man then you've seen me Then you've seen me I come and stand at every door You've seen me always leave with less than I had before And you've seen me, but I can make you smile when the blood it hits the floor Tell me, friend, can you ask for anything more? Tell me, can you ask for anything more? These things that have comforted me, I drive away This place that is my home, I cannot stay My only faith's in the broken bones and bruises I display Have you ever seen a one-legged man Trying to dance his way free If you ever seen a one-legged man Then you've seen me You're listening to Recovery Now Radio Let's Recover Together And that was The Wrestler by Bruce Springsteen Alid, we were talking about your early years of gambling just before that song. Um, would it be fair to say that that was how you had your downtime to escape the stress from work? Uh, yeah, I, I suppose so. But, uh, you know, for many years, I, I did normal 
things to stress, you know, like sports and socialising. And but then just gradually, the, the gambling just just took over all those things, and I, I dropped all all activities. And you know, you know, I was somebody who would have to exercise every day, and then gradually, you know, gambling would always take over. And then, or or you know, as soon as you could gamble on your phone, then you could combine gambling with with anything, you know. And uh, I can remember, you know, I, I turned down so many things thinking you know, I've got to gamble or I haven't got any money to go and do these things because of gambling. And it's you know, I wasn't thinking at the time I'm doing this to, to avoid stress or avoid interaction, but I suppose um, as I got more into it and I wasn't able to talk to him about it because it's a guilty secret, you know, all the money I'd lost, it was easier to do, do gambling rather than interact with people, my friends, you know, my, my family. So it just took over. Yeah. Would you say that you were always chasing the high or the win? Well... I don't feel like I was really, but but um, I, I, I was telling myself that I was gonna, right, I was gonna focus to gamble to get out, get sort of level again, or get out of my debt problems, and then call it a day. So I had this big plan to actually finish with with gambling, but maybe all gamblers have that, but but there's never really. Uh, but I know you know from experience that when I when I, you know, had some some chance and, and won some money back, and I could have paid everything off and gone back to normal again. I never did that, so it just shows that you know you're never going to be successful unless you decide to stop, you know, at at, at this at, at that time immediately, rather than decide to stop after you know you won something back. It's just a fantasy. Yeah. So having not stopped when you had planned to, why do you think that was unsuccessful? Well, I suppose because I was still believing the fallacy that that it was ultimately going to be successful, and I hadn't accepted that that gambling that my gambling was pathological. And I, I didn't even believe I was an addict. You know, it sounds ridiculous now. And even even looking back, at, I talked to other recovering addicts. I think, oh, I, I'm not a recovering addict. And I think, actually, of course I am. Like, you know, you've done something obsessively that's destroyed your life. You know, what more proof do you need that, that you're an addict? But um, I, I definitely didn't believe it at the time. <laughs> I've forgotten your question now. Sorry, what, what was the original question? Why was it unsuccessful? Your Why? plans well, to start? Because I think unless you get to a crisis and say, look, that's it, I'm going to... I'm gonna, actively stop gambling now and actively seek help and seek professional support, then you're never going to be successful. So trying to manage it on your own, saying, oh, I'll get to this point and then, then I'll just stop by myself, I don't think, well, certainly in my case, it wouldn't have been successful and I, I don't believe anyone could do it on their own. Yeah, the hook was in, I guess, yeah? Mm. Okay, moving into your, on to your next song, it's Hands of Time by Groove Armada. Why did you choose this one? Without really realizing, really, I've chosen songs in spirit of the moment, and they're all songs about sort of regret and looking back at past action. This is another one, and Groove Armada, and you know, incredible. Uh, well, it's, it's one guy's the main guy behind it. He's incredibly talented, and Richie Havens, you know, he's an incredible folk artist that he's got to collaborate with him, and just there's so much soul in this voice, and he's just just hums at the start of the record. There's more soul in that than than I could ever sing, um, and it really moves me.
listening to Recovery Now Radio, Let's Recover Together. And that was The Hands of Time by Groove Amada. Alid, we talked a bit about your gambling earlier. I wonder if you could tell us a little bit now about the consequences that occurred for you. Yes, yeah, so, so I, I, you know, I had a good job and had lots of money available and plenty of people offering you credit. So I, I, I kept gambling, thinking I'll, I'll just borrow some more money and be able to gamble with that to pay off the previous debts and then you know, get even. And you can predict what happened. You know, I just created more and more debts. What I started doing then was incredible amounts of extra uh, locum work to pay for debts, you know, and I suppose people were starting to notice that I was doing loads and loads of extra work. And I can remember I was just about paying, keeping all the repayments going. I was just about covering it with, with my with my earnings. And then an, an overdraft was cancelled. You know, and what reason would I need an overdraft? I, I lived a pretty frugal life, but the reason was because of gambling. And that meant that I, I missed a mortgage payment which should have been a, a, uh, a warning sign to me to say, look, you need to take this seriously now. But when I missed that one mortgage payment, I thought, oh, I'll just, I'll just win the money back and pay it next month. And then that spiraled on and spiraled on. And, and you know, eventually my, my, my flat was, was repossessed. After, you know, I was so behind on the mortgage, and I was ignoring all letters, you know, I kept thinking, oh, I just gamble away out of it. And even at times when I was behind the mortgage, I had, I had times I had that much money to pay it, pay it all off. But, you know, but I would always just keep on gambling. I just, just couldn't stop. And I know now that if I'd have used that money to pay off pay off the debts, and I wouldn't actually have any money then left, I would really miss the gambling. That that's why I you know carried on. And then you know, to my great regret and shame, I, I then started committing crime and you know theft and fraud. You know I, I defrauded something in the order of like sixty thousand pounds, which is a huge amount of money, but actually it's a relatively small amount of money because it compares to the amount of money that, that I that I gambled and lost. So you know. Thankfully, I was eventually caught or arrested, and that was really the sort of final crisis point. And I remember talking to to Nick, the counsellor here, that you often takes a crisis to you know to, to start seeking help and start your recovery. I had plenty of crises before that, that that I wish I'd acted on those, but unfortunately, it was that it took that crisis to really really make me seek help. And I can remember then when I first sat down with Nick and told him my story. One of the first things he said to me was, "What well, well, I can imagine you don't really know who you are anymore." And and as soon as he said that. I, I knew he understood, you know, I knew somebody understood what I've been wrestling with. And I, I had no idea, absolutely no idea. And, and I I still don't really, but you know, I'm a lot closer to it now than I was two years ago. And I still don't, can't remember who I was before gambling took over my life and you know, whether I, I can get back to that. But uh, all I can do is just keep trying to improve and recover and rehabilitate. And I think if you dwell too much about, about regrets, which I, I have done with my music choices this, um, this afternoon, um, it's not healthy. So all I can do is just keep trying to move forward. Yeah. Well, it sounds like um, you've gambled a huge amount. Um, did that take up most of your time then, apart from work? Yeah, if I wasn't working, I was gambling or thinking about gambling. And, you know, I start off gambling on sports that I enjoyed watching anyway. But when they're over and you think, oh, I need to carry on gambling, and it's, it's 10 at night, you'll mm-hmm. find some sport in some obscure country to gamble on. It's just, you know, and it's interesting now that, you know, I always used to enjoy watching sport. But now that I don't gamble, I don't really watch tennis anymore, for example, you know, which I thought I was interested in. Uh, I certainly don't watch you know, obscure South American football matches. So yeah, m- my life was completely consumed, but I was still just about managing to kind of keep the impression of, of being a functioning human being and you know, working as a doctor. But it was all just a huge, huge facade, really. Yeah. You mentioned a loss of identity. And with your permission, I'd like to talk to you about, about that a mm-hmm. bit more after your next song, which is You Could Be Mine by Guns N' Roses. That's a good song. Why did you choose that one? Uh, I think Guns N' Roses is a really obnoxious band. This is a very obnoxious song. And 
being obnoxious isn't really helpful in, in sort of human interaction, I don't think, but I think sometimes you need to feel that way and perhaps if you can kind of maybe be obnoxious towards addiction and, and, and say, look, you know, I can beat you, have some swagger, have some confidence. Uh, and this song is the ultimate sort of swagger, cocky song. Okay.
you're listening to Recovery Now Radio, let's recover together. And that was You Could Be Mine by Guns N' Roses. Alad, we talked about your sense of a loss of identity. And it certainly sounds like gambling had completely taken over your life. I'm assuming that you still could identify as a doctor. Could you tell us what happened with your occupation? Uh, well, I suppose if I was doing any, any other job, um, you, you know, if you're dealing with people's, people's lives, you, you, you've got to take it seriously and function. I, I suspect if I was doing another job, I would have maybe started performing poorly, you know, a, a lot, lot earlier and perhaps, you know, lost my job earlier. But, you know, when I was working as a doctor, I, I was you know, doing it seriously. But what, um, I guess, the main compromising factor is that anytime I was at work, I would probably still be thinking about, about gambling. But, you know, because... The work was important. I was able to, to still function. Uh, and then I started doing lots of additional work, you know, to, to fund my gambling. And I told myself that, that I was fine, that I was, you know, safe to carry on. But, you know, clearly it would have compromised my abilities. And then the big the big problem, obviously, is, is that gambling led to dishonesty, you know, criminality and fraud, uh, which obviously you know, is not compatible with being a, a doctor. So having been arrested and going through all the legal process, um, in addition to that, I had to go, well, I, I'm going through the, Process the medical council to, to see you know a whether I was able to continue practicing while they're completing their investigation and in the long term whether I can work long term. I'm often sort of well, at the moment I'm quite surprised how, how ambivalent I am towards what the outcome is because well I think that's because through my recovery I've I've started appreciating you know what's important in life and 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 the little things that that that, that you enjoy and. and you know, I said at the start that my, my bare minimum was a strong relationship with friends and family, and I've gone a long way towards that. Um, and what anything else happened is a bonus. I probably at the start didn't quite believe that. I probably wanted to get back to my previous life, my previous career. Whereas now, if the worst was to happen, you know, there's other things in life that are more important, and whatever it is, is, is going to be a, a better life than sort of living a secret, you know, in, in a cave, just gambling all the time and dedicating your life to something as, as you know, completely unconstructive and, and damaging as that. Yeah. When you um, had your rock bottom then, um, I'm assuming that's the last time you gambled when you were arrested. Um, how did you fill the void afterwards? Um, well, I mean, first of all, I, I kind of made it impossible to gamble by, by um, putting all my in- income into an account that's kind of controlled by, well, it was a joint account with me and my father, but, you know, he didn't have a debit card or anything and he would see any transactions going out of there. I suppose it, initially I was able to carry on working, so I did a lot of that, and that felt like something that was helping to pay off debts and it was something positive. But I wasn't really able to enjoy anything else like, like I was before. You know, I wasn't able to socialise or do sport like I was before. But I think just slowly and gradually, I have started enjoying those things again. You know, I've done some some sport to sort of slightly obsessive levels, but but I'm always questioning myself: is this healthy? You know, is, is this is this an addiction? I'm, I'm happy that that there is not. And then. I suppose what's difficult is for a long time it was still a secret even after it it come out to a certain extent. So I couldn't really fully explain to, you know, only a few people knew the whole truth and I couldn't fully explain to anyone else how I was feeling. So I tended to avoid um, avoid social contact really. Uh, and then lockdown happened for the world and that kind of was convenient for me really. But as, you know, things are out in the press, then what's the point hiding things anymore? So I, I can I can talk about the reasons behind you know, how I feel and the situation I'm in. Um, and that's quite liberating in a way. 100%, I'd, I'd choose to, things to turn out differently if I had, had my life again. But this is the way it's turned out. And all I can do now really is, is, is A, try and improve myself and, and talk about it so perhaps it might help somebody else. Mm, yeah, exactly. Well, moving on to your next song, before we talk about your mm-hmm. recovery a bit more, 
I think I'm going to say this right, La Tristessa Durera by the Manic Street Preachers. Yeah. Um, Why did you choose that? So the Manics, you know, I, I grew up with the Manics, you know, liking sort of rock music in, in South Wales and, um, and you know, massively it played a lot of great nights out with my friends and Manics to be playing. Um, and I think that, you know, they're a special band. They're, 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 they're guys who are intelligent, they write music with, with a message and they've got, you know, they've got principles and, and they've got something to say, which probably doesn't exist in music anymore. Um, and, and this song, uh, I think it's maybe about a war veteran, and I think La Tristessera might be Van Gogh's last words. I don't know exactly what it's about, but I think it's about something poignant. Um, and I like the fact that you know, they're, they're a local band that I can, I can relate with, um, and it's great music. Absolutely.
You're listening to Recovery Now Radio, Let's Recover Together. And that was La Tresses Durera by Manic Street Preachers. Let's move on to recovery, Alid. Can you talk us through the early years or months of your recovery and um, what that was like for you? So I remember Nick talking about, you know, when you're early in recovery, you've you, you got your, cat, your little flame on a candle and you've got to protect it and protect it from any breeze, you know, it'll get snuffed out. So uh, I was very, very fragile then and uh, I was able to keep functioning, like, you know, I'd, it's important for me to, to carry on working because uh, that gave me some structure. Um, but outside of that, I didn't do a great deal and sort of got quite un- unhealthy. And so I just worked as much as I could really because obviously it's beneficial to pay off my massive debts. You know, I, I could see at the time, I can definitely see now that I wasn't getting the balance right. You know, working was important, but it would be important to sort of talk to other people. But I was still living a bit of a secret because nothing was out, out in the open. So I, I don't know if I got it right. I feel now I'm sort of on the right path and uh, you know I, I keep watching sort of and reading about like redemption stories and you know, documentaries about you know Lance Armstrong or O.J. Simpson or you know um, well not that O.J. Simpson's got a redemption story but and I keep thinking about you know writing a book or some sort of documentary about, about my life and I, I want there to be you know uh, a happy ending or you know at least some sort of some sort of resolution some some kind of success at the end of it but I suppose if I just go back to what, what my bare minimum was was to restore relationships with my, my friends and family that's something that, that I can definitely influence so in terms of early recovery I suppose yeah it's a real struggle but but it if I go back and talk to myself then I'd say look it does get easier if you just you know if you stick to what you're doing and you remind yourself why you're doing it I, having said that I haven't really been challenged because I haven't had access to any money and I wouldn't be interested in gambling unless there was large amounts of money involved. But actually, you know, I know for a fact if I really wanted to, uh, I could go to like a, a, a branch of a bank with an ID and I could withdraw all the money in my account if I wanted to. Mm. My dad would find out in a few days and it would be a disaster. So I know the temptation has never been that big because I've never done that. But I've definitely had, had thoughts. Um, I don't know how sort of serious those thoughts are, but there's so many reasons not to fall back into addiction that, that, and that's how I you know how, how I can avoid it but, but but as I say in groups all the time I, I talk to people who are addicted to things that are sort of readily available all the time and I, I really my heart goes out to them and then plus I doff my cap to them because that would be incredibly so much harder in my opinion um so, so I'm, I'm kind of kind of lucky in that regard you mentioned groups um what a benefit have you found in attending groups at the living room um I suppose initially I it's quite sort of voyeuristic. I was sitting in a group and hearing about people who'd, who'd done catastrophic things, made terrible decisions because of gambling, or sorry, because of any addiction. And that gave me some comfort that, you know, that, that what I'd done, although it was shocking and, and, and dr- drastic and disastrous, there were other people who also had these same disasters. You know, when I, when I told people about what I'd done, it wasn't like, God, I'm shocked, you know? I mean, it was like, wow, that's pretty serious. But, but it was like, well, people can understand, you know, the drivers behind those things. Initially, I'm sitting there thinking, I'm just going to listen to them and so listen to everyone else's, you know, story, and then not necessarily talk. And then actually, I think, in the, in, if not the first session, perhaps the second session, I, I just felt able to talk. And and that's that's sort of the strength of groups and, and you know the whole point of fellowship and and you know having had years of not talking about anything. I guess it was a release really to start talking about it. You know, initially with other addicts in recovery. And then that's going to help me to talk to talk to non-addicts, you know, and try and try and explain to them, you know, what happened and why it happened and what the experience is. Yeah. Um, well, let's listen to your next song, which is "I Want to Be Adored" by the Stone Roses. Tell me about this one. It's just a, a brilliant intro and just incredible sort of 
atmosphere to the song and I just just imagine myself just floating in a in the dead sea listening to this song and listening to the bass line and just just you know just floating away
You're listening to Recovery Now Radio. Let's recover together. And that was I Want to Be Adored by the Stone Roses. So, Alid, moving on to your recovery as it is now, I hear in the grapevine that you have done a fundraiser for Mind, the charity, and the Living Room Cardiff by cycling a huge way. <laughs> I don't know how long you, how, how far away you cycled. You can tell us in a bit. But you've earned so far almost £13,000 by doing that. Can you tell us more about it? Um, yeah, so, so I really wanted to take on some sort of challenge. I, I wanted to I'll do a few things, really. I, I wanted to raise money to, to help you know, the, the charities and organisations that helped me. I wanted to complete a challenge to show to myself that I could still achieve things. I wanted to, to raise awareness about, about addiction and get some publicity and, and hopefully you know, reach people who, who would need help or, or knew someone needed help. Plus, I wanted to, to reconnect with, with friends along the way. So I, I kind of, slightly back of an envelope, designed a, a big challenge. And, and one thing, you know, I've always been able to do is, is like, endurance sport or particularly cycling or, or running or something. And I thought, you know, I imagine just, just you know, the freedom of getting my bike and just setting off, you know, forgetting my problems and just cycling somebody somewhere. And I started putting some structure around it. I thought, well, I'd love to cycle to a different continent, but it's not really practical with... with um, lockdown restrictions so I thought what can I do in the UK and, and when can I do it and I thought it'd be great to try and cycle Land's End to John O'Groats but I like the idea of starting and finishing at home so I, I cycled from Cardiff all the way up to John O'Groats all the way back down to, to Land's End then back to Cardiff and it, it wasn't a race but I had a fair bit of mileage to cover each day and actually my route was very sort of zigzag and undirect because I wanted to visit friends along the way and either cycle with them or, or stay with them so I, I, it was it was 17 days in the end and I did about 2,200 miles and 108,000 feet of climbing, which is which is over three times the height of Everest. And, you know, it's an incredible physical challenge and very mentally challenging as well. And unfortunately, the weather didn't play ball. I, I imagine doing it in sort of glorious weather like we've kind of got now, but um, it's hard to remember this far back, but, but you know, May was a terrible month and it rained, you know, pretty much every day. And in Scotland, it was freezing and I really, really struggled to get get over the highlands in that weather. At the time, it was miserable. But actually, now I look back and I think, I'm glad that it was hard. You know, I'm glad that it was a challenge because that, that's really sort of given me some confidence that, that you know, I, I can overcome other challenges, you know. And I always find it a little bit, a bit of a cliche when you use a sort of, you know, sporting metaphor for, for normal life because normal life is so much harder than sport, you know. Like, I, I find it within the bounds of possibility that I could cycle 100 miles, 150 miles across the highlands in the rain. But... The thought of, of you know continuing recovery and to, to, to rehabilitate and go through all the hurdles of you know with general medical council and and you know whatever work or whatever you know, career I have to have in the future that massively daunts me so so I don't think it's that useful to use sort of the metaphor of the, the challenge of a sport but but I think if you can achieve something that's got to give you confidence and, and if it's just small steps achieving some small things along the way that's how you build up to bigger things. Um, so this trip was a series of small stages based on a series of, of you know, of repeated pedalling. And, and there were lots of times where I thought I was going to have to quit. I thought I'm not going to get through this, you know. But you should just think, okay, if I can just get around this corner to get over this hill, things might get easier. And, and often they didn't get easier. But, but eventually you can get to a place where things are easier and, and you feel a sense of achievement. And, you, and you, before you know it, you've achieved something huge. And I'm sure that there's a metaphor for, for recovery in this some way, but I'm sort of fumbling around trying to find it. But my, my, my sort of message, I guess, that there's, there's, there's hope even in the greatest despair. And what's great about this trip, you, you, you told me that, that, that I've raised £13,000. I haven't raised that. I've just made an activity that involved lots of people that motivated other people to, to want to support a good cause and, and you know, indirectly support me. 
so I think we have raised it, you know, me, my friends, people who've, who've read the, 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 my story and, and the implications and understand how important it, it is to sort of provide services for addicts and how, how you know, how treatable the condition is. Um, so I, I, I'm really proud that, that, that I was a part of that and that, that I, I've been able to raise awareness, raise money and overcome a personal challenge which hopefully will sort of spark me on to overcoming whatever challenges I have ahead. Yeah, well I'm sure that Mind and The Living Room are extremely grateful for the money you've raised for them and it's going to help a lot of people with mental health problems and addictions. Um, and I'm really grateful that you're here and have spent the time with me today. It's been phenomenal. Um, I want to thank you for coming in. I want to thank the listeners for listening. I want to encourage people to share, comment, join Mixcloud, keep sharing this story and other stories like it around the world because we are bringing a message of hope to everybody, just like Alid has with his cycle. Uh, it's a massive message of hope. So thank you very much, Alid. Thank you. And your last song is You're the Voice by John Farnham. Tell me about this one. Um, I suppose it is a, a message of hope, this song. It's, it's, it's a bit involved. It's very naff um, and very cliche, but it, it is uplifting. And um, not to mention it, it features in the Alan Partridge from Alpha Papa, which should be reason alone to pick it. So um, I'd like to enjoy listening to this. Let's have a go.